Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Tuesday edition where we talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today every Tuesday at 2. My name is Justin Dobbs. Glad to be with you. Let me invite you to interact with us live. You can use the live chat on YouTube. Uh, Scott and I will be watching that throughout today's discussion. Uh, or if you want to leave us a comment or question, you can go to BibleQuest.tv. We want to hear from you and talk with you about your questions and concerns in your journey to know the Lord and his word. Uh, today we do have with us Scott Smelser. Scott, you doing all right today? Doing well. Just locked out. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't get to go inside and change clothes. But uh, well, I hope you, hope you're warm enough. It's uh, a little chilly, but uh, not bad. It, it looks looks festive enough. Um, so today we wanted to talk about um, a response to grief um, and thinking about how how the godly grieve in a way that's different than people in the world. Uh, this is a significant topic for me. Uh, some folks may know my wife, Lindsay, just lost her mom a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she'd been battling congestive heart failure for about, about a decade. Uh, and so long, long battle there, but uh, she's gone to be with the Lord. And it's been interesting to think through uh, interesting and instructive to think through how different people have processed that news or go through grief. Grief is, I think, different for everybody. Um, but there's, I think, a, a biblical precedent, maybe a biblical path that we're supposed to take through grief. Um, I don't know. You have thoughts about when you think about how a Christian responds to to suffering um, or to sorrow in life. What do you think? Uh, two passages Three passages come to mind immediately. Ecclesiastes, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Yeah. And tying into that, Romans 12 says, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. By the way, if you can't take joy in other, there's, there's a bunch of jealous, envious people in the world. <laughs> if you can't take joy in other people's joy, you will probably end up grieving alone. Hmm. When things are going good for you, use some of that energy to be there for the people who are in a valley. Yeah. When you're in a valley, other people who aren't will be there for you. And then there's Romans 8.20 that says that God subjected creation to vanity futility in hope that we, not because we wanted it, said so not willingly, Adam and Eve didn't think, man, I wish we had more pain and sickness and death. They were being selfish, and he subjected it to problems in hope that like the prodigal son, he came to himself when things went south. Yeah. The suffering helps refocus us. And if, er if we didn't ever suffer, we would be probably insufferably arrogant because we get arrogant enough. Uh, and it reminds us we're not in charge. And then lastly, and maybe you can take us through this passage, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. Yeah. Paul tells me how to grieve. Yeah, I want to I want to land there um, when we get to that, First Thessalonians 4, because Paul talks about how uh, we grieve differently. Those who know Jesus, we've got a, a different process we go through. And I think part of it is... It comes from what you said in Ecclesiastes, that if, if we expect never to suffer in life, then we're setting ourselves up for even more suffering. 
uh, it's not just the suffering that comes, but now it's the dashed hope of escaping all kinds of trials uh, and pains. Um, so one, it's just it's just a reality. We're going to suffer. We're going to lose loved ones. Uh, I just watched my father-in-law, um, you know, hold his, his wife's hand, uh, and she passed away. And it's, you know, that that may be me, one day. Um, I'm not an exception to the rule. Or it'll be my wife one day. Uh, it'll be my children gathered around my bed, maybe. Um, or getting news that I had, I had passed away, and not to be overly morbid, but that's just the reality. Is is we are bound to die, and I'm not going to be exception. And so wisdom says you need to embrace that truth and live life in connection with it. Otherwise, you you are seeking to escape the inescapable. Uh, I think that's helpful. Um, one passage I wanted to look at there on that. Paul says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's not wrong to rejoice in other things. We're told rejoice in the wife of your youth. Hmm. But Paul is focusing on the one thing that can't be taken away because everything else can be. And if you are in a marriage and you love your spouse and your spouse loves you, the sad fact is one of you is going to end up a widow or the other one a widower. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I do not like to think about that, but that means that my hope needs to be somewhere else. If, like you said, if I don't rejoice in the Lord, then the pleasures and delights that I have in these other things are going to be stripped away from me. Um, one thought before we get into just the suffering aspect, um, you mentioned Luke 15 and the, uh, the prodigal son, so-called. Uh, I think there's a, a grief that we experience or should experience with, with sin. Um, and so a godly person hopefully approaches sin in a different way than the ungodly. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 talks about uh, how there is godly grief and then there's worldly grief. He says in verse 10, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Um, and so I think, you know, sometimes we suffer and it's just because there's suffering in this life there's just like you said romans 8 there's futility it's just bad stuff happens sometimes though we suffer because we did foolish things or sinful things and you know there are consequences to yep. those actions and then sometimes we're not sure <laughs> sometimes bad things happen you ever had a bad thing happen and you wonder is this god trying to get my attention and maybe try to, you know, respond to me and my lifestyle, perhaps. Uh, I think sometimes we wonder about that. Yeah, it's it's human nature. We know bad things happen. When bad things happen to other people, we don't. Uh, you know, like if you read, if you hear on the news tonight that somebody was killed by a drunk driver, not many people sit there and puzzle. It's sad, but they don't stay up wondering why. They know that there are people that drink. They know that there are people that get drunk and get behind the wheel. And they know that that causes a lot of accidents. And it's sad and it's tragic. But it doesn't mystify them until it's your family member. Right. And then, in fact, the Sunday before my son passed away in a river accident, I preached on this very topic 
and that we have a tendency to demand to want to know why something happened. And sometimes there's a why. Sometimes there's just a general why of there's this earth and there's sin. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. If I'm a drunk driver and I hit a tree and I get paralyzed, my own sin. Right. Sometimes it's because of the sins of other people. Drunk driver hits me or a loved one. Sometimes it's that we live in a fallen world and I, I get cancer. And Job's friends made a big mistake. What was the mistake Job's friends made? They drew a moral connection to his suffering that Job suffered because he deserved to suffer. And it's easy for us to get this idea that God is uh, a cosmic Santa Claus who gives us whatever we want as long as we were good. Right. And so when something bad happens to someone that's not good, well, yeah, they got their lump of coal. But I was good, so why didn't I get my wishes? And that's that's not how it works. There's general truth, Deuteronomy 6, God's commands are for our good. Right. And there's general truth from Proverbs. If you, well, you can see this in statistics. People that are not sexually immoral, who don't drink, who don't do drugs, who have strong family ties, uh, and have religious values, are going to tend to live longer than people who are promiscuous, involved in crime, doing drugs, and, and drinking. That's right. just a fact. But it's not an absolute. And right. it illustrates that. So if, if we look at our lives and we say, wow, I'm suffering, um, we've got an opportunity to say, okay, is there anything out of my my life that's out of place? Is God uh, helping me to wake up to my need to repent? And if so, I need to repent. And if not, then you still draw close to God. And I think that's where uh, James takes us. Um, he talks about in James um, chapter five, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. You know, the response of the godly is always to try to draw close to God. And so, it, it may not be that I'm suffering because of my sin. It may just be that God's given me an opportunity to draw close to him. So if I'm the prodigal son, Luke 15, and I found I've sinned, then my response to my uh, suffering better be worldly sorrow. Yes. Uh, and I, I need to come back home. I need to go back to the father. Um, but today we're kind of talking more about just the, the griefs that come to all of us. Um, whether it's I find out that I have cancer or I lost my job or a loved one passes away or, or whatever it may be, how do I respond to that? Uh, there, there are a few passages I wanted to look at. We'll come to First Thessalonians 4 in a moment, but one that was helpful to me, Psalm 34. Uh, in Psalm 34, in verse 18, uh, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I think what you were saying with Job is the thought is that if if I'm suffering, it must be that God's far away. Uh, and David says, actually, uh, for the godly, if they're suffering, God is God is close at hand. Uh, he's near to the brokenhearted. Uh, and when we feel the weight of our our sorrow, we're crushed in spirit. Uh, God saves us. Um, I, that's a huge comfort to me is is to realize that that God has not abandoned me in my sorrow, 
he's he's not forgotten me as he wants me to draw close to him. He is near to the brokenhearted. Uh, another one is in Psalm 126. The Psalms, by the way, are just so rich uh, in emotional vocabulary to help us think about how to process uh, different emotional experiences. Uh, it, it's God uh, talking through man to himself to show us how to talk to God. Um, but in Psalm 126, this is a song of ascent, and it seems like it's after the exiles would return from captivity. Verse one, the Lord restore the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dream. So there's realized hope and they're coming back home. And he says in verse four, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Uh, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Uh, our tears are useful. Uh, our, our tears are actually, he describes them as, as opportunities for sowing. And if we don't waste our grief, uh, actually, God can be doing some really wonderful things through them. Uh, he talks about, you know, sowing in tears, reaping with shouts of joy, uh, bring, bearing the seed for sowing as we go out weeping. Um, I think one response that we might be tempted to is, is we're going to shut the door and we're going to never get out of bed again. And we're not going to face the day's responsibilities. And, and the godly say, nope, there are tasks for me to do. And there are times I'm going to feel weak. And I may not want to take the next step, but the godly says, there is there's something of profit to be done here uh, in my sorrow. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Yeah. And that, that may not sound like the kind of thing you want to hear when you're grieving. We may just want a warm hug and uh, be told it's okay and and sit back and, and go through a grieving process for weeks on end. Um, and we do need rest. Uh, I will say one, one passage that's uh, helpful too is in 1 Kings 19, when Elijah uh, flees from Ahab. Um, maybe, you've, maybe you've seen this floating around uh, social media. Uh, some have used this to say, um, <laughs> when, uh, when Elijah was depressed, uh, God gave him uh, a snack and a nap. Um, <laughs> for kindergartners. Yeah. And that, that, that is what he did to some degree. Um, you know, he did allow Elijah that 40 days of rest where he, he flees in the wilderness, uh, from Jezebel and the threat. Uh, he does give him food and time to sleep and doesn't bother him with questions immediately. But when that 40 days is up, he says, Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing out here? Uh, and he shows him an image of his glory with the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And he says, you've got work to do. You need to go back and get to work. And um, and you're not alone. You know, there are other people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So you need to no. make arms with others. Yeah, he tells him how many thousands have not. Let's right. discuss that for just a minute. Uh, in First Peter chapter 5, now, this is particularly talking about the, the suffering of persecution, which is different than in the grief of a loved one passing, uh, not from persecution. But notice the, uh, the thing here. 
First Peter 5, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So withstand him and withstand in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. Right. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians before the passage about their responding to those that are deceased that we'll look at in a few minutes. He tells them, you're suffering the same things that your brethren in Judea are yeah. suffering. Uh, Elijah's not the only person to have suffered, and he's not the only person that's serving God. Uh, Job was not the only person that has suffered. Although, I think perhaps one of the reasons God let him suffer so much is so that the rest of us, if we ever get to feeling nobody knows the trouble I've seen, no matter how bad we have it, if you had it as bad as a joke. Right. And so to know, we don't want to relish in the pain of other people, but there's some there's something in being able to talk to people who've gone through what you've gone through. And when you suffer a loss, many times people have suffered a loss, and I, I'll tell them, I say, I'm not going to say I understand, because I, I think that's unfair many times. Um, if somebody loses their wife, uh, and I'm not going to say, I know what it's like to lose a wife, because I don't, but I can sympathize with it. Now, if somebody has lost a son, I know what it's like to lose a son. But even there, the grief can be different. Everyone's experience uh, is a little bit different. Yes. My grief was tempered by the fact that my son was a faithful Christian that I respected. Some are not. We'll see in First Thessalonians, it talks about the difference between sorrow when there's hope and when there's not. Uh, some deaths are sudden, and it caught you by surprise. You didn't have to watch them suffer and decay, but you also got to say goodbye. Hmm. Some deaths are sudden, you know, just it just happens. And they don't go through a long term of suffering. You don't have to watch them decay. You don't get to say goodbye. Um, but understanding that other people suffer. And if, if somebody listening right now has not really suffered yet, you will. And when you do, it will give you a standpoint to be able to be there for other people who will suffer similarly. It's just yeah. part of life. Yeah, Second Corinthians one, Paul talks about the the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Yes. Uh, and chapter one, verse four, He comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. So there's, there's a comfort that one, we get from God, we can't get from anywhere else, but two, we get it so that we can share with other people. And I think one of the worst things we can do in a response to grief is we isolate ourselves. Uh, it just compounds the suffering. Uh, so Elijah went through that and God, God let him uh, rest there for a while, but he says, you've, you, you need work to do. Uh, that's the go out sowing with, with, uh, with tears, uh, yeah. you'll reap. Um, but also you've, you've got partners here. And so if you'll go out and find your Elisha and get busy working again, yeah. um, there is Ecclesiastes again, there's a time 
to laugh, and there's a time to mourn. And people may mourn differently. And an introvert may want to mourn in a different way than an extrovert. Somebody may want some time just alone. Right. Somebody else may dread being alone and just needs people there with them. Um, and mourning is part of life. But that passage there in First Corinthians, it talked about so that you will be able to comfort others. So if you if you were about to say something else on another point, go ahead and we'll come back to this. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Out here. Let's talk about things that are helpful to say to people who are suffering, things that are not helpful to say to people that are suffering. Because there's a lot of practical benefit in thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you already mentioned one, but I'll just reiterate it. Uh, probably not the best thing to say, I understand how you feel. Because even if you think you do, um, I'm not sure how that's supposed to be helpful. <laughs> I just, I don't see the benefit in saying, okay, so you, you get it. Are you saying that my suffering is less? Are you saying that I should just get over it? Um, it's a better that's, that's not helpful. Come from the other person. Like if they come and talk to you and say, I need to talk to you because I know you've been through this too. Right. That's a little bit different than if we go to them and say, oh, I, I know how you, you, you don't want to say something that sounds dismissive. It may be very helpful and you may have a common thing, but the other can come across dismissive. And uh, this is oh, years ago, dear friends had a baby pass away as an infant. And they were speaking to someone and the person said, oh, I know how you feel. Our dog died. Sometimes uh. it's better to say nothing. You know, Lincoln said better to remain silent, be thoughtful, then open your mouth and remove all doubt. There's a lot of verses in Proverbs about say the same thing about yeah. what you say before you speak. James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. And in greeting, being ready to listen to them is more important than me coming up with something to say. Uh, I think it's also important to listen without judgment because sometimes we'll say things in our grief that may not even be true or godly. Uh, and, and we may need time to come to realize that. And so there may be a time to correct that when someone says something they shouldn't in their grief. Um, God was really patient with Job. Uh, he gave him several chapters to kind of pound his fist and rail at the heavens. And God was really patient and he didn't rake him over the coals immediately um i think we need to give people who are grieving some grace and some time and then maybe later probably later uh come back and talk through the truth of the matter so we can better process that grief so let's think about job's friends the best part was when they sat there silent for seven days that was the their shining moment um it's when they opened their mouth and started saying, well, obviously this wouldn't happen to you if you'd been acting right. And you're probably worse than we know and deserve more than this. 
<laughs> that was, and of course, he says, miserable comforters are you all. Sometimes silence is just really valuable. Uh, only, I'm going to give two instances. In fact, one of them you might be able to describe better than me because you've probably heard him mention it. Um, your brother-in-law, Jeremy, um, one time was telling me about when one of their children was close to death and they were dealing with the child. And I guess it was uh, your mother-in-law hmm. that was there and she was down in the foyer or whatever and just just the agony you know when a child is sick it just hurts and when they're terminally ill and a sister from church came and sat down beside her and didn't say anything uh so i don't know if it was jeremy's mother or mother-in-law but it was one of one of the moms uh, and the sister from church just came and sat and she had the wisdom to not feel i have to say something she was just there and at the end of the day as she got up to go she said would you like me to come back tomorrow and the grandmother said you know yes please <laughs> and then eventually the grandmother felt like talking and there was somebody that, lo that loved her enough to just wait until she was ready to talk. Yeah. And I'll share one more very similar. Uh, one time, one of my kids, um, it's the only time any of the kids were ever in the hospital overnight. Um, and it was a really baffling things. The doctors said they'd never seen that. They couldn't figure out what it was. I was really scared. I was scared, but when I was talking to my daughter, I didn't want to tell her how scared I am. I'm wanting to be there for her, not tell her how frightened dad is. And Gary Ogden came to the hospital. I don't remember anything Gary said, but I so appreciated him coming and it taught me something. Because how many times have I gone to the hospital when somebody else, you know, is right. sitting there and they're the ones going through suffering and sometimes i'm thinking well what should i say what should i say what should i say that's not so important and i found that out from gary coming i don't remember what gary said i'm sure he said something but gary was there for me and looking at my daughter that i loved and then talking with her and being with her and talking with the medical staff and then stepping out in the hallway I had a friend that I could unload on about how frightened I was. Yeah. He listened to me. And that taught me a lesson. Yeah. I don't have to think of something to say. Sometimes it's just being there so that when they have something to say, there's somebody to listen. Yeah. And I, that's so valuable just to be present. Um, sometimes we struggle with what to say. And so it's not one particular thing wrong that someone has said, but they just somehow end up turning it back around to talk about their experience or their suffering, or they make this moment about their suffering. 
And that's just, you know, what, what I've often seen. And, you know, I, I saw this, actually, I saw this with you guys. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a wrong thing, but back when Adam uh, died, um, the Smelser family turned into comforters. <laughs> you all were comforting a lot of other people. Um, and we, we tried to make it that way at uh, my mother-in-law's memorial is we, we kind of agreed as a family, like, look, this is, this is about the people who come and we're here to comfort them. Um, but if you're going to try to comfort someone who's grieving, don't make it about trying to find comfort, make it about trying to provide comfort and share in comfort. Uh, there's, there's plenty of that love to go around. Um, let, let's hit on first Thessalonians four. Uh, because let me, let me get this in real quick. I want to share yeah. this and then we'll do first Thessalonians four. I want to mention three things that helped me deal with, with Adam's death. One, which I, I respect Adam. Uh, he was a good man. He'd passed me in various ways. He, and it was, it was a great comfort knowing his faith. Secondly, that morning in Bible class, it was a college town. And the teacher asked the college class, he said, when one of your professors challenges you and says, you know, how could a good God let bad things happen to good people? What would you say? And they said, it was Adam that raised his hand. And he said, I like to tell my friends that this world, and he either said, is like a broken down house or a rotting or decaying house. He said, and my God takes care of his people and gets some help. And knowing that he said that that morning, not knowing that he was going to lose life that afternoon, that was a great comfort. But the last thing is this. It's easy to feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to feel sorry for the loved one that died. But I would stop and be thankful instead. And this helped me a lot. Acts chapter 12. Herod was going to kill Peter. People prayed for him, and he didn't die. But right before that, Herod killed James. And I'm sure that there were people praying. Right. And James, that's one of the apostles. That's Jesus chose him. And out of the 12, there were three that were especially close to Jesus. James was one of those three. And if the Lord didn't see fit to make sure that tragedy wouldn't befall James, the son of Zebedee, what right do I have to expect that the Lord owes it to me that tragedy can't befall me? Yeah. And th th that fact of James, that, that helped me. And Peter, it's great that he was spared, but only for so long because he spent his life knowing that in the end he wouldn't be at some yeah. point. Yeah. It's the first lesson. Yeah. As, as we turn there, um, the, the gratitude point, I think, is uh, is so right. Um, you know, they're going to, after a moment of suffering like this, or maybe it's ongoing suffering, there'll be times when a memory will strike and you'll just be going about your day and all of a sudden you'll, you'll think about something and it'll, it'll crop up. 
Um, and if we can turn those moments into um, into praise and into thanksgiving um, and not just hurt, but talking to a God who feels with us, he's near to the brokenhearted. Uh, and so if we can praise him and thank him uh, and and confess our trust that we see the good. And I think that that's part of what we see here in 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's read that in verse 13. Uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Uh, Paul here is talking uh, to some Christians who have suffered the loss of their brothers and sisters. I mean, some of the, the brethren there had died. And so the ones who are left alive are wondering, did they miss out? You know, are they just gone? Uh, and so we grieve. I think it's important. Verse 13, Paul says, we, we do grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope because there's there's a promise of the resurrection here. And when the Lord returns, uh, the dead will be raised first, uh, and then we'll all go and join them. But what I want to emphasize here in verse 13 is this. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Uh, it, it may seem kind of counter to what we've been saying here. I hope it's not. Um, but one of the things that we need desperately in our grief is the right information. Uh, Paul says, you need the truth. <laughs> you need the truth about what God has done. You need the truth about what he is continuing to do, and you need the truth about what he will one day finish. And it's this resurrection that he started with Jesus. Uh, it's this hope that we live through, uh, even as we're here serving, and we are the Lord's people, and it's the promise of his return. And it's that information that I think best helps us to process uh, whatever we're going through, is that I think Adam's comments in that class that, that morning are spot on. Uh, this world is not what we're after. Uh, God one day is going to put everything right. He's going to fix the broken down house. Um, but in the meantime, we're here and we're suffering and he's going to get us out. And so the the truth we need uh, desperately when we're suffering and, and it's something we just got to hold on to. Solomon calls it in Ecclesiastes 12, these nails that are firmly fixed. You know, he's he's looking at life and he's saying, why is life just such a mess? <laughs> why is there so much? Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper and get ahead? And in the end, he says, this one thing I know, and you, you fear the Lord, you keep his commandments. Uh, that Those are the nails firmly fixed. And I think the resurrection is the centerpiece for all of our joy and all of our hope. Um, with that idea in verse 18, you know, if, if we're wondering what to say to people, <laughs> uh, it may not be exactly about the situation. It may just be praying with them. It may be singing songs with them. Maybe you're reminding them of these truths, encourage one another with these words. Yes, we're suffering. Um, and Jesus suffers with us. 
John 11 has given people a lot of comfort um, with the death of Lazarus. Anything you remember from Jesus's response to that situation? It's interesting that it's, of course, the shortest verse in the Bible there, Jesus wept. And he knows what he's going to do. Right. But, you know, he's, he's seeing those two sisters weeping. And what they're, they're saying, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And if he'd have been there and healed him, he wouldn't have died. But Jesus purposely wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he waited. Um, and, of course, that was going to break Mary and Martha's heart. And, of course, he rose from the dead. Uh, for us, there's a longer gap between the two things. Right. Uh, but he, he let it happen. Yeah. And, and he knew what was happening. Um, you know, while he and the disciples are still out and they're receiving news about Lazarus, uh, you know, he, he turns to his disciples one day and says, Lazarus is sleeping. And I, I go to wake him up and I go, well, well, why wake him up? I mean, if he's sleeping, he'll get, he'll get better. <laughs> and he's talking about sleep in the same way Paul's talking about sleep in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 is some have fallen asleep and they're not resting from us. Like they are dead. <laughs> and so Jesus has to say, look, Lazarus has died guys. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go and wake him. Uh, and for Jesus to raise us from the dead is as easy as it would be for us to wake somebody from sleep. Um, and so he knows what's going on. Like you said, he knows it's going to break their heart, but he has a plan. And and it's helpful to me to remember that God's plan is bigger than just my immediate comfort. You know, Jesus' yes. plan back there in John 11 was so yes. that people would see the glory of God and that they would believe in Jesus. And so maybe that through my suffering, God has plans to bring about glory for himself and cause others to see and believe. If you think about it, some of the strongest people you know are people that have really suffered. Yeah. And historically, I think this is really fascinating. What generation do we call the greatest generation? Yeah, World War II, yeah. Yeah, uh, the people in the 1940s. Now, what preceded the 1940s, the 30s, and before the 30s was the 20s. For those that don't remember, now I wasn't around as old as I am, I was not around. <laughs> but I know about the 30s. So, Great Gatsby, Speakeasies, the Roaring 20s, the Flappers. Yeah, the Roaring 20s. It was a party time. Uh, it was, it was, there was a lot of people had money. Um, there was partying. It was, it was a party generation. Then in 1929, the stock market crashed and it was terrible. And then you had the Dust Bowl out west, and th there was a lot of suffering. Hmm. Um, and after 10 years of suffering, came World War II. I think if the 30s hadn't been there, those people wouldn't have been as strong as they were. If you'd have had to face everything they had to face in the 40s straight out of the 20s. Right. Like right now, we're we're a weak nation. I mean, you know, we get triggered if somebody dead you know, gets dead you know. Um somebody gets somebody Bob decides that he's Veronica and somebody says, Hey Bob, 
and he's on the internet crying because he got called Bob. It's suffering makes us stronger. It's not enjoyable, but it, it builds resistance. And just think about when you go to the gym to build strength. Lifting styrofoam is not going to build strength. You pick up those big heavy weights that are trying to push you down, and pushing up against them is what builds strength. I think that is part of what Psalm one twenty six is getting at: is you know when when you're weeping, and there's still work to be done, you don't ignore the grief, uh, you don't pretend like it's not there. You do weep, you know, you do grieve, and you take it to God. Yes. And and for those who are suffering, they, they go to God in prayer. Uh, to a God who hears and sees and knows and cares. I mean, Jesus cared. He, he weeped. And he, he, wept. He, weeped, he wept. Don't be afraid to cry. Yeah. Um, but there's still there's still work to be done. Yeah. Um, so uh, you see that the truth needs to be uh, ever present in our thoughts. Um, Psalm uh, 56 makes the point that God stores up our tears in his bottle. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages in thinking about our grief. In Psalm 56, verse 8, you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I think, you know, why, why would God care to write down all of the times that I cried? Um, unless it is that he wanted to make record of it because he planned to revisit that and make things right. Uh, I think that's the implication is God plans to... Uh, undo all the brokenness and all the sorrow he's going to wipe away every tear and and make sense of it all it doesn't make sense now but one day he's going to set the record straight and paul while he's a prisoner that might be executed apparently with a health problem and some people that should be on his side stabbing him in the back he writes a letter where he uses the word joy over and over and over and he ends chapter one saying, we've been called not only to believe, but also to suffer. That's part of it. But he, he put his joy in the Lord. Yeah. And, and, and when the Lord is the foundation of our lives, when he is our reality, when God is our truest reality, uh, then, then grief is but for a moment. And there's joy that comes in the morning. Uh, Psalm 42, I'll close with this. Uh, Psalm 42 and 43 go together. And David's going through uh, tremendous suffering here. And the sons of Korah record some things about this. Um, but here in verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And, and here, you know, the sons of Korah are teaching us to preach to ourselves. That <laughs> um, You know, he's talking to himself. Why, why are you cast down, O my soul? And so sometimes we need some self-counseling. You know, we'll, we'll use God's word and minister it to our spirits so that we remind ourselves that there's a God yeah. who has stored up hope for us in heaven. Yeah. Um, Colossians 1. So listen to the gospel. You know, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of these truths. It doesn't take away from the suffering. We're not ignoring it, but we're putting it in its rightful context. Um, so these are some things that have been helpful to me. Um, you have any other closing thoughts for us, Scott? Just again, the value of gratitude. When you're suffering, don't be afraid to cry. Don't be afraid to lean on somebody's shoulder. But also, when you've gotten that out, refocus on what you're thankful for. When my mom was passing, she was picture of health, except 
suddenly they found out she had stage four cancer and went through that up and down battle for a while. And in the last six weeks of her life, she realized it's going to be about six weeks. And we would go down regularly and just spend time with her down there during that six weeks. And uh, April and I were on the way down one time and we were talking about, we go down there to make her feel better, but she's actually making us feel better. Hmm. Um, and I don't say that to say when you're suffering, you can't let other people know your pain and lean on people. But also, she was thankful for her life. She was grateful for what God had done. And she realized this was the end of hers. Yeah. And I said, she showed us how to live. And then she showed us how to die. Suffering with grace. Yeah. Well, listen, we, we hope this has been a helpful discussion to anyone listening today. And if you're going through uh, sorrowful, grieving times, uh, we, we just pray that God would, would bless you and walk with you during this in a way that you'd know he's near. Uh, but that concludes our discussion for today. If you have other questions or comments, uh, please send them our way at BibleQuest.tv. Thanks for joining in. God be with you. And if he's willing, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Justin.